Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. That was anointed. <laughs> Amen. And so we started talking about what does that mean to have an enemy of next? And I don't want to go too deep into last week's teaching, but I did hope you hope you hope, hope you gathered that just like God has a plan for what he wants to do for you next and through you next. The enemy, thank you, Jeremy, that sounds so much better, it helps me. Uh, the enemy has a plan on how he's going to stop it. Just as God has these great plans. You remember when Job was in uh, doing well and, and God um, was on his throne and his angels was there? Guess who was, in pre- guess who was present? Amen. Guess who was present? Now, this was after Genesis, so it was even after the fall. But the Bible says that the enemy or the devil or the adversary was in the presence of God, in the angelic host. Amen. When he was talking, the enemy was there. And, 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 uh, and so he said, have you tried my servant Job? Amen. And, 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 it's, and it's funny how the enemy said he knows how much you're protected. The enemy said, I can't touch him. Haven't you placed and heads around him? So I can't get with, you can't touch this empty hammer. Haven't you placed a hedge around him? He says, listen, I'll remove and hedge to the degree so that you can test him in some areas, but I can't allow you to kill him. And so even the enemy has limitations as it pertains to us. But I want you to know that he always desires to come against what God desires to do in your life. Right? And so uh, whenever there's things happening, um, um, at its major capacity or its large capacity, it's because something great's on the other side. Uh, if you look at even night and day, the darkest part of night is right before daybreak. The darkest part of night is right before daybreak, right before the sun shines. It's the darkest, amen, all night. And just like, you know, just like in our lives, sometimes, uh, and, and I know I'm not in my message yet, but the Lord is just, is, just is moving in this area. But, you know, you know what the, the, the tragedy of Peter sinking in the water in the, in the storm when Jesus reached out and grabbed him? It wasn't the fact that he sank, but I believe the biggest tragedy in that is, is at the point in which, where he, in which he sank. If you look at the scripture, the Bible says he was in the boat, Jesus was out in the water, and he says, bid me, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. He comes, and then the Bible says as he began to sink, the Lord reached out and grabbed him, which means he was already almost to his destination. He was at arm's reach to Jesus. Right. But it seemed like it was harder than it was at the beginning. Why? Because he took his eyes off of Christ and started looking at the storm. The same stuff that he was walking on in the beginning at the end of a thing, it seemed too hard. And so he began to look at the storm and rather and, and, and rather than the one who helped him walk on the storm. So I think I, I want to 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 kind of lay that foundation. You've got to be encouraged even in, in some hard times and some hard places. Amen. It's really ministry, family, uh, personal life. Uh, finances, uh, the enemy tries to get us discouraged because he can't stop what God wants to do in our lives. And so he tries to get us to discourage from walking after it or walking forward any longer. I, I was speaking last week with, with a lady at my church, and this is a literal truth. I preached on it several times, but to see it actual manifest was amazing. Um, she owned land, and because she didn't know the land was deeded to her, they had had seasons of harvest that rotted in the fields. <laughs> the, 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 the crops were planted by somebody who owned it before her. 
it came up in its season. There was nobody there to, to, to harvest it, right? So, so what God has plans for us, it's going to harvest. But some of us are not available to harvest it because, because the enemy has made us so discouraged that we walked away from our field. And so I don't want you in your next season that God has for you to get so discouraged that you walk away from your field. All of us have a harvest. He said if we stay patient and if we don't get weary in well-doing, that we will what? Reap uh, if we faint not, right? And so this is what we're talking about. Uh, I want you to be aware uh, of, of your enemy. One of the things that I preach all the time to believers is, number one, you cannot be surprised. I don't want you to be surprised by the enemy. I don't want you to be surprised. The best, the best military tactic is to know my enemy is there and to know his strategy and tactics so I know how to counteract. You've got to know the enemy's coming. If God is blessing you, you can't get so comfortable that you don't think that the enemy doesn't have a plan to try to detour what God is doing in your life, right? And so that doesn't make us discouraged. Thank you so much. It doesn't make us discouraged, but it makes us aware. That's why the Bible says that we ought to watch as well as what? Pray, right? So that we can see him when he comes. So anyway, so this is what this series is about. This series of teaching is... I want you to be aware of the enemies that's trying to attack your next, what God has for you next. All of us have a next. Amen. Just say that with me. I have a next in God. And, and it's greater than where I am now. So tonight I, I introduced this, this, um, this subject or this phrase in our teaching last week. I don't know if you picked it up or picked up on it, but uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about tonight um, from um, Jeremiah 18 and 1. Jeremiah 18 and 1. If you have your Bibles, let's read that. Uh, Jeremiah 18 and 1. This is a very familiar text. <clears throat> uh, Jeremiah 18 and 1. I should be, I thought I was there, but my tablet's playing tricks on me. But it's all right. Jeremiah 18 and 1. Are we there? It just says this. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the powder's house or the potter's shop, my New Living Translation, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he had made did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. And then the Lord came to me in a message and said, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Amen. And so I, I want to talk tonight just about being on the wheel, being on the potter's wheel, being on the potter's wheel. Um, I, I believe God is saying, and I, I wrote this in your notes, I believe God is saying in this season of your life or this season of your ministry, will you allow me to put you back on the wheel again? Will, will you allow me to mold you and make you before your, for your next season? Uh, for your next season, because the truth is this. He cannot do in you what he wants to do like you are now. I didn't say that to offend you. I said it to stretch you. God, God see, some of us, um, we look at our past uh, wins or our past success, and we think that we've got it. We've made it. We've got this thing figured out. We know God. We know what it means to worship him. We know what it means to feel his presence. We know what it means to have him in our lives. We are good. Um, but the bottom line is God is continually working on us. 
Uh, my granddad said something to me when I was a young boy, and, and, and it's, it's something I still repeat today and live by today. He said, son, when you, stop, when you stop learning, you stop living. When you stop learning, you stop living. You, sh- you should never get to the place where you shouldn't be ever able to be, be taught something or to be able to develop in some areas. There are, there, are, there are people 70, 80 years old that are still learning new lessons every day in life. And, and I think when we get to the place where we know enough, we really get to the place where God cannot stretch us and use us for our next season. Um, we, you know, I, I've, I've learned, and it's a, it's a challenging thing, that when, when, when God does something, I learned this, you'll learn this in the scripture with Samson. This is a, such a beautiful um, narrative of how God uses us and how we should, we should operate our lives when we know he is with us. Here's Samson about to go up against the Philistines. Right? If you don't know the story, I'll just narrate it for a little bit. He's about to go up against the Philistines. They're coming by the hundreds, by the thousands, right? And he doesn't have anything in his hand to fight with. But he has the Lord with him. And he knew the Lord was with him. And he knew the Lord was on him. And so he looked over and he saw a bone, a jawbone from an ox or, or an ass, if the Bible says. He took the jawbone and he took the jawbone and he slayed the Philistines. With, the, with, with, with a jawbone. After it was over, he did not take the jawbone with him just in case he found more Philistines. <laughs> because he didn't think this was an anointed jawbone. The Lord used this to, to, to defeat all these Philistines, so I'm going to take it with me. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to hide it, I'm going to protect it, I'm going to keep it. So when I need it again, he'll use it again. When it was done with that moment, with that season, the Bible says he threw it down and he continued. Think about that. If it would have been church, religion says, let's take this jawbone, let's make a monument of it. Let's put it in a glass case and put it in the lobby so people can, amen, so we can reverence what God did on this mountain, what he did for Samson on this moment. We want to worship the jawbone as if the power was in the jawbone. But what Samson realized, which is so beautiful, and I believe we have to live like that in our lives, that it was not the jawbone. God just blessed whatever we had in our hand for the battle we was at in that season. And when that season was up, what we needed to fight in that season, we didn't need to take it to our next season because we took the one who was the one was winning for us, with us, so whatever he used, whenever I need him again, he's going to show up in another way and fight in my next season. It was never about the jawbone. It was about who was with him. Come on, somebody. So what do we, use, what do we learn from that? That God, when God is on you and when God is with you, he'll use whatever you have in your hand. I've, I've seen people do crazy things with such small amounts because God blessed it. Are you here? I, you know, I didn't realize we were poor until I got old enough to look back at our lives. We didn't have much growing up. But my dad and my mom didn't raise us like that. They raised us, amen, to be positive, to, that the Lord is our strength and he's our light. And I can't remember not eating. I can't remember not having at least clean clothes. I do remember having to wear them, you know, over and over again because I didn't have much. But my mom made sure they were clean. Come on, somebody. Amen. And it was when it got really bad, my dad, it was six of us. And he would still say, every one of my children are going to college. Every one of my kids are going to go further than we are. Uh, come on, and, and you're the head, not the tail, and, and you're above and not beneath. Come on, somebody. And so we, we start hearing it so much, we start thinking it. Yeah. Living in such uh, uh, small uh, resources, it relates to our circumstances, but our minds weren't there. 
And it wasn't until I got to college and went home with some friends and saw how they were living that I went back and said, Dad, we didn't have none of that. <laughs> but what my dad learned was I don't have to take things on journeys that's not needed. It's baggage. It's weight. Because provision will show up in your next. And the provision that you need for your next assignment is not where you are now. It's where you got to go. And sometimes we got to drop the things that are in our now and trust God that he will provide the things for our next. Wow. And the reason why we get so frustrated, because we want everything that provides for us now to come with us. And God is saying sometimes those things can't come. Those jobs can't come. Those, those connections can't come. Those provisions can't come because it was providing for you where you are now. But I have something already prepared in your next season. And all I need is you to be open to believe me for whatever I have for you next. And, and that's why I'm talking about being on the wheel again. We're going to get in our notes. But, 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 this, but this, this concept of being on the wheel again is saying, God, I'm not getting wrapped up in all the miracles and all the things that you've done for me. Yeah, I should remember them. Yeah, I should glory in them. Yeah, I should, I should always be thankful because of them and grateful. But I'm willing to be open enough to say, hey, I want to hear you in a fresh way for what you're going to do in my life next. Because sometimes we miss him because we're looking for him to come the way he always have came. We've, we're looking for, we miss him sometimes. I remember my dad, I remember my dad, um, he had one of his sons in the gospel, which my, my, my oldest sister is business manager for, for Pastor John P. Key, uh, one of the legends in gospel music um, out of Charlotte. And she travels around the country with him. And, and so my dad licensed him and to preach. And, and he's, he's a son of, was a son of his in gospel. So years, every year for a while, he used to come down to my dad's little church on Hurrah Street and do a concert and preach for him um, and just showed him so much love. And he would just shower my dad with stuff. If he had a need at the church or we did a lot of mission work in Africa and, and years in a row, uh, Pastor Key would just send him money to go to Africa, you know, pay for this. What if you need, Pastor? What do you need? Hey, just let me know. I got you. And he would have his back because because he was he was he was he was doing well. Um, uh, major awards. I mean, he's just, he's just been in the industry for 20, 30 years in the gospel music industry. And so, but one year, my dad asked for something and Pastor Key wouldn't give it to him. I mean, not really wouldn't, but he never responded in a way that, my, that as quickly as he used to. And later, you know, the Lord just whispered him and said, no, I don't want you to do it this time. My dad would receive that because it was always his source. And what my dad learned is God was going to do it, but he wanted to do it this time. And he wanted to stop having a crutch for him always depending on somebody that always said yes. And he wanted my dad to understand when they said no, did you still trust me? Right? And sometimes we get frustrated because we have, we have resources in our now that we depend on, but when they dry up, then we think it's over for us. Sometimes God will dry up our now because we're not, we don't need to be there anymore because he's trying to pull you to your next. Um, and so, listen to this. Let's let's go through these 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 notes here. I want I want to speak to you on some things here. Who you are is good for where you are, but not for where you're going. Who you are is good for where you are, but not for where you're going. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm gonna get on that in a minute. The text finds Jeremiah receiving a word from the Lord. And in this word, God uses the process and work of a potter to explain what he is doing in his people. 
And Isaiah 64 and 8 uh, says that he is the potter and we are the clay and we are the work of his hands. So this lets us know that it is God that is shaping and molding us through our experiences into what he has in mind for us to become. I, I, I've always, I was taught, and, and, and maybe it was just per, through perception, I've always perceived this potter's experience to be what happens to us at salvation. I was, I was not right, and I was, I was marred, and I was broken, and I was lost, but I got in the potter's hand, and he made me over again, and now I'm saved, and I'm a new creation in him. Amen? Amen. And, I, and, I, and I can go on. But let's just not look at it. I've learned it's deeper than that. That is, that is the absolute truth. I'm not taking anything away from that. What I'm saying to you is that it's going to be some remakings after that first remaking. <laughs> you know, and, and oh, come here, David, help me with this. Remember when David says after he makes these mistakes of Bathsheba in, in Psalms, I think, 50 or 52, around, around 52 or 55, he says, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. He had relationship. He had been um, um, fell in fellowship with God, but life got him to a place where he knew that he had to be made over. Come on, somebody. Even in the secular world, if you're really going to, if you're really going to be successful and stay with the times and be relevant, and there's going to be times where you have to reinvent yourself. Come on, somebody. Even as a church, sometimes we got to reinvent ourselves. Even as pastors and ministers, we got to reinvent ourselves because what we've been comfortable doing for 10 years, we realize now is out of date. And either we're going to stay with a tradition that is no longer effective or we're going to shift or the term I like to use in our church, mature our traditions to make sure that they are relevant in the times that we are in. And many times in us, sometimes you just get old or you realize that you, you just need some life, uh, what you're doing, and you just got to reinvent yourself to try to come out of some things or try to make moves or do lateral moves or whatever. In your life, it was good for the season that you're in, but you realize there was time for some changes, and it's time for me to make some moves, reinvent myself so that I can get ready for this new phase in my life. Whether you go through changes in life, whether you, it's a death in the family, whether, you know, you go through a bad relationship, amen, and you find yourself depending on other people, and now you're left there to try to make moves by yourself. Circumstances in life will cause you to have to stand up and say, I've got to stand up for myself and reinvent myself and make things happen from a different perspective. And the same thing in God. God says, listen, he sets you up. Um, he doesn't give you everything that he has for you from the beginning. <laughs> but, he, but, he, but he gives it to you at the beginning, but you don't get it at the beginning. I know that makes sense, but it was, it was, I meant to say it the way I said it. He gives it to you at the beginning, but you don't get it at the beginning. It's, it's, it's almost because a lot of things, I have been saying this word for the last two weeks, and my, 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 my wife has been laughing at me, my people, because I made it up, and I know I made it up, so I'm going to tell you right now, I made it up. <laughs> but I'm... But I, I'm falling in love with the pre-ness, the pre-ness of God, which means everything about God is pre, predetermined, pre-made, pre-issued. <laughs> He's not forming things as we go along. But he told Jeremiah, I knew you and I, I called you before I formed you. I predestined you. I pre-justified you. You don't get justified in your journey before you started. He justified you. He glorified you. He gave you grace for the journey. 
He gave you everything you need. And just like a babe, you might have all the organs in you, but it was so small, it could not operate in its full capacity because it had to grow. Are you here? I might have I gifted my son my car right now when he was two months, but I'll be a fool and an illegit- and and irresponsible father if I gave him the keys and say, go boy, go drive it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But there had to be some developments in his lives, some, 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 some growth, uh, some levels that he passed to get him to the place to say, okay, you're ready for the next season of your life. And I think in God, he takes us from, Bible says, glory to glory, which says, I've given you the tools to get done what you need to get done in this season. When this season is up, trust me for the tools for the next. We want the tools all at once so we can just go through life with the breeze. But God has said, I can't give it all to you now because you can't handle it. Uh, in, in John 16, he said, it's expedient that I go to be with the Father because if I don't go to be with the Father, this comforter can't come because I've told the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, all things that pertains to you. Things that I can't tell you now because you can't, you're not ready for them now, but it's the comforter that's going to guide you through life, giving you what you need throughout the journey. He's got it from me, and I'm, I give him authority to say it because all things in heaven that belong to my Father, I have authority over. Right? So he's telling us, he says, I've put something in you that has everything you need for your entire life, and he's going to guide you, but he's not going to give it all to you at one time. He's going to take you process by process, giving you a little by little until you are coming to a full, mature Christian ready to stand without being shaken. Is that all right? So this, so this process of being on the wheel is, 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 is just this. When a season was up, God spoke to me three years ago. This is kind of what birthed this. And, and I've, been, I've been teaching from this perspective when he birthed it in me. He was shifting our ministry to a certain place. And he says, I, I, I'm, I'm going to shift the culture there. I'm going to shift some things there. But before the church shifts, you've got to shift first. And you've got to allow me to put you back on the wheel again and look at some things from a fresh perspective. There were, some, there, were some, there were some traditions and some things in our church that I was for, that I grew up in, that I, that I recognized that were good for where we were and what we did. But, but, but God was challenging me to look at it again to see if it's good for where we're going. And, and I, I couldn't teach people to look at things differently if I wasn't open for God to show me it differently first. Yeah? And a lot of times... We, we, we deny that it's God talking because it doesn't sound like the God that always talked to us before. <laughs> this can't be God. Get behind me, devil. Because God would not tell me to go say I'm sorry to this guy. That how he knew, you know how bad he's been to me and you won't. That can't be God. It's got to be the enemy. Right? When he's telling you, if you don't get these arts right, you can't go further. Like some things he'll allow us to go through or, or handle or deal with until it's time for us to cross over. And he says, you can't cross over like you are now. Remember we told Joshua when they got to the Jordan River? He says, tomorrow I'll do great things before you, but today you got to consecrate yourself. There's some people in your camp that are not circumcised. They hadn't cut some stuff off and let it seal and heal. And we can't go in this condition. Same thing in our lives. In some areas of our life, he'll let some stuff slide. But whenever you're going to that next place, especially when he's giving you promotions and you're about to be over people and you're about to manage people and you're about to get a position of authority, you can't have uh, petty disagreements 
and emotional ties and things and areas when you're about to be dealing with people on another level. God says, no, that was fine when you were learning of me, when you were going through your process of becoming, but if you're going to really go to that next level of leadership, there are some things I need you to be delivered from. And so now he's going to require you to, to, to go through some processes that he didn't normally require you to go through, and it's going to hurt because, God, you've never required me to do this. Why I got to deal with this now? Because he wants greater for you, and you can't get to the greater still um, hiding those things in your heart. And so he puts you back on the wheel again. But look what he does. I've learned <clears throat> God is so intelligent. Hear me. If you don't hear anything else I say, please get this one. God is so intelligent that he does not just talk just to be talking. When you study the Bible, if God uses something as an example, he uses it because he wants you to study the thing that he's using. For example, we've said this, we've quoted this, and I hope I'm not getting into muddy water here at the church. I don't want to, uh, to offend anybody, but we've used the scripture. If we just have the faith of a mustard seed, the size of a mustard seed, but, but, but I don't know where small faith has worked. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is this. If you look at the Bible in its original, original context, we've put sides in there. It says, if you have the faith as that of a mustard seed. And that word as that is really translated to mean as the characteristics of, the, the, the contents of, of, the character of. A mustard seed. And, and, and I can explain that even further because if you go on a little further in Jesus, in his journey, he rebukes them for having little faith. When they, when they couldn't heal the, the little boy, and he said, I, take him to, I took him to your disciples, and they couldn't do nothing with him. Uh-oh. That was me. He couldn't, they couldn't, they, I was like, what is that phone? I hope it wasn't a coffee. <laughs> they couldn't do what? They couldn't do anything with him. Jesus comes on the scene and says, oh, ye of little faith, how long must I be with you? For you to recognize what I want to get in your lunch. So he just, if he just says, all you need is the size of a mustard seed, why are you rebuking me for, for being small? Because he was never talking about the size. He was talking about the characteristics. And so what I was doing, now it's up to me to go study. Why would he use a mustard seed? Why did he use anything else? Why a mustard seed? Now when you, when you, when you go search the mustard seed, you understand clearly what, God, what Jesus was trying to say. Because the, first of all, the mustard seed is such a small seed. But if you put it in the ground, it goes to such a large tree, right? So whatever starts small doesn't stay small, but it becomes large. Number two is it's so small, it's one of the hardest seeds at all that there is. You cannot break it. It is unbreakable. If you put a hammer on a mustard seed, I don't care how hard you hit it, you won't crack it. It's unbreakable. And then number three, which I started to shout when I heard it, if you, if you see a mustard tree, the circumference of the width of the tree, the, the width of the branches and the, and the leaves, the circumference, nothing can grow in the circumference of the tree. You can have green grass outside of it, but in the, around the trunk to however wide the tree is, it'll be dirt. Nothing can get in its space. So now he says, I want you to have the faith <laughs> that is unbreakable that starts small and becomes great and won't let anything in its circumference that is going to cause you to lose it. Now it makes sense because you understand the example. 
So the same thing here. Whenever God uses an example, I want you to learn. Study what he's saying and why he's comparing this to that. Because if you learn that, you'll get um, the, 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 the gist of what God wants to say. So he says here, he uses the potter. And he uses the potter's experience. And he uses the potter's will. And he uses the potter's process to explain what he's doing in his people and what he's doing through his people. And so because he uses that, I want to use that same um, that same process to kind of to kind of explain how he uses us in seasons, how he develops us in seasons and how we've got to be open to what he's doing in this new season. Um, because a lot of us, our traditions and our experience with God and our victories in God and the ways in which he's blessed us, touched us, visited us, sometimes hinder what he can do in us next. Because we compare him now to the God of yesterday. And we see in scripture, he tells Moses, he says, listen, you ain't seen every piece of me. He said, today I'm going to reveal a piece of me that you've never seen before. That means you can get to a place in God where he'll just trust you with a little more of himself. He's got another side to him that you ain't seen before. He's got another level of love and compassion. He's got another level of grace. He's got another glory to him that as we mature in him, we understand to see him more. There are some things that I have compassion about now that I would have never considered 10 years ago. There are some things right now in my church that I have some, some of my seasoned saints and some of the folks that grew up in tradition and religion, amen, they, they just shun on. And I say, it's not that serious. Just let, him, let grace take him. Because I learned, I let my, my traditions mature. And I realized the love of God and I experienced it on such different dimensions that people who have not taken that journey will not see. Are you here? And so when, listen, can I just say this? And I know I'm not getting my notes. God has really, really got me kind of all over the place tonight, but I believe he's speaking tonight. Uh, you've got to get in kingdom in our, in our church. Everything we do has to be about the souls. It's really about souls. And it really took me maturity and being on the wheel a couple of times to realize sometimes we choose rules over souls. Sometimes we choose uh, traditions that have nothing to do with Christ. And we let people walk out because they did not do it the way we wanted to do it. And we don't realize that we might have let five souls that never reached Christ walk away from us because we chose a way of doing something that was not even scripture. I asked this question to my leaders when God took me through this process of really starting to go after souls and expand my reach and really to, and to, and to soften my approach and let the Holy Spirit do work instead of the church trying to see, we want people to get attached to church before we want them to get attached to Christ. And if we get them attached to Christ first, they'll be, they'll be on fire doing Christ's work, but we want them to get on fire doing the work without Christ. And get upset because their fire is not there because they don't serve the one we serve that gets us on fire. Come on, somebody. They're doing out of obligation, not out of love because they haven't got to the place of relationship where they love them like we love them. And so I had to learn. I said, listen, all these things y'all have an issue about if Jesus was right here in front of us right now. Would he kick them out or would he accept them? And I asked a couple of them, say, well, he probably would accept them, but we can't stand for it. You need to get on the wheel again. You, you've limited where God can take you. You've limited the possibilities of how he could use you. If that is your approach, 
He cannot take you in a circle where everybody needs Christ because your mind is not in a soul winning uh, state of mind, but it's trying to push a religious doctrine to people sometimes that, that, that does not push with love first. And I don't know why I'm talking in this, in this realm, but I just believe God wants to put us on the wheel again sometimes to really recalibrate us to know everything you do is for Christ and everything you do is for souls to be saved. The singing from the worship, from the testimonies, from the offering, from the announcements, from the word, all to lead to the altar. Because everything is about the altar. And, and, and there's no rule. There's no regulation. Amen. And as long as we're still in scripture and as long as we're in doctrine of the word of God as relates to what's in red and what Jesus wants us to do. As long as I'm biblical, you can't tell me that I can choose. I well, we've been doing it this way for 10 years. Can you tell me why? We don't ask questions. This is wrong with the generation. This is what I got older preachers come tell me. I went, you know what? This is real. Honest about truth. I had a... Um, my, my, I can't say his name. Somebody who's dear to me, somebody who's dear to me, been pastoring for over 30, 40 years, Baptist Church. Uh, elder, I, 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 I so honored this man of God. I've got young people in my church, they were coming in the droves. They were coming, I'm right at the college campus, and I was getting young people coming. And you know, they had this culture about them, you know, they had this culture with the hats and, you know, all this other stuff. And I love it, you know what I mean? And they just come in and they had this flavor, and, and it was driving my elder, my el- they were driving them crazy. They're like, oh my pastor, are you going to do something? This is getting out of hand. Uh, you know, I, I started getting calls from my live feed about allowing my praise team to wear jeans. And they got jeans on and button-down shirts while they're supposed to be giving glory to God. Or nobody got on a suit. Nobody wearing a tie. Your, your musicians got on hats and, amen, uh, tank tops on and cut-off shorts. They got ripped jeans on. What in the world is going on? I thought the Holy Spirit, this is a deliverance ministry. <laughs> And I went to him. I, I went to this young, older, older pastor because, because they were getting, my, my, my young people were getting offended. I mean, they were hurt because people were saying they were being disrespectful. Hear me. And they didn't understand where the disrespect coming from because their culture says my hat finishes my outfit. It is an accessory. It is not a functional hat that we used to wear in the olden days to get out the weather to cover your head. It is actually like ladies adorn their outfits. They put a hat on. And so I went and I said, I searched the scripture first and I couldn't find it. <laughs> because even if we use the scripture when you're talking about, you shouldn't pray with your head covered and all of this, and ladies shouldn't, their hair is their glory and they shouldn't be wear hats. Ladies don't even wear hats during the week. They just wear, I know, in the black church, they just wear them in church. It's Sunday morning, they got the big hats on and you don't see them nowhere else the week. <laughs> so if it was about that, you should always have a hat on and never be uncovered. So anyway, that's a whole, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. So I went to him. I said, hey, give me some scripture. Give me some word because I want to make sure we're right. You know, my young people want to be right. They're loving God. The atmosphere is great. God is in our house. And they're saying, Pastor, what's the, because they didn't grow up with a religious, they didn't grow up in church. They didn't grow up in church. They didn't, they didn't learn it and didn't understand it, but just said, because daddy said it, I can't do it. They didn't know. They just came in an environment looking for God and found him. Yeah. Are you here? And so they were saying, where's the disrespect? I just found Christ and I'm loving on Christ and I'm loving what he's doing in my life and I'm changing. Why are people saying I'm disrespectful? So I go to a pastor. I say, hey, listen. I said, can you help me with this, man? I'm a young pastor, man. i am got these young people there on fire. And, and uh, like, oh, my older folk are telling me they're disrespectful. I can't find out why. I can't. I ain't going to tell them to stop coming. Either take your hat off or leave the church. That's what they want me to do. They kick them out or even tell them to take the hat off and they got to go. No, I'm not going to do that. They're 17, 18 years old in a worship band in church. Yeah. 
on Friday nights in church. Yeah. Traveling me when I'm pre- preaching, that's just traveling me on fire in church. I said, you'd rather have them in the club than in church? <laughs> so anyway, he could not tell me. He said, that's what's wrong with the generation. They ask too many questions. <laughs> they ought to just do what they're told. When we were growing up, we didn't ask our grow- old folks questions. We just did what we're told. And you know what? A light bulb went off. That's why the church is so behind. Because in every other area around the world, other than religious areas or arenas, Inventions and movement happen from a series of questions. We would have no light if nobody questioned, why in the world are we walking around with these smoky lanterns? (laughs) There's got to be a better way. (laughs) Every invention that ever happened is when somebody stood up and said, why are we doing it this way? Have we ever thought about why we're doing this? And if we ever considered that God might have something better for us. You'll never get to the next level in God if you don't release every tradition, everything you've known, everything you've learned, everything you've experienced, and you've let God speak to me fresh now. Where do we, what do you want me to do in this season? What do you want me to, how do, how do you want me to hear you in this season? What's my ministry in this season? How do you want me to do it in this season? Because if we take the old with us, we'll never be, amen, progressive in the new because we're trying to use old ways that are outdated. God was never in the ways because if he was in the ways, we would still be wearing sandals and robes right now. They wiped the feet when they went in the house, not because they were holy and anointed, because their feet was dusty. Because they had on sandals and they walked on dusty roads. You listening? Methods change all the time. Jesus never changes. And as long as the word stays the same and it stays current and it stays uh, uh, within line with scripture, then we should not hold on to things as if you don't have it unless you do it my way. It's not effective unless you do it the way I did it. It's not church unless it sounds a certain way. It ain't God unless it looks a certain way. This is not gospel music. Gospel music is never determined by the sound. Come on. Right. That's right. It is always determined by the message. That's right. <laughs> Ooh, you hear people say, oh, that sounds like church. What does that sound like? <laughs> I heard a preacher say, if Jesus was in this era, he would not even know how to function in church. What's a choir? What's, what's a praise team? Praise team? <laughs> Offering. <laughs> what's announcements? We, did, uh, we didn't do that back when I, was, when I was in Jerusalem. We didn't have announcements. You know, just the fun. And those things were put in place to help us and to... And to, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to make us more aware, and, and they have its place. But what I'm saying is, we can't let those things keep us from going forward and deeper into what God wants to do in our lives. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So, so let me just go through this, because I, I didn't already waste, not wasted time, but I've already taken time here in, in other areas. My first point is this. If you look at the potter's process, the process, the process of a potter starts with this, a pottery making. I wish I, I said one time, I had a vision when I was putting this together. I wish I knew a potter. I would love to have a potter up there making something live. I think that's a great, that would be a great visual. But anyway, we'll work on that in the, later on. 
I'll be preaching and teaching, and he's just giving the illustration of what I'm talking about. That's awesome. If you know a potter, I would love to, for real. Uh, maybe we can do a video of it, and you know, I would love to, to do that. I think that's a blessing. But, but the, first, the first part of this process of a potter, and what you got to understand, my first point is this. You are being made from scratch. We talked about that. When a vessel was formed, they start with a lump of clay. The text tells us that we are marred or flawed in the potter's hand. Here's what God does. Here's what sometimes it's hard for us to recognize, realize. Using this process of a potter, he sees some things in us. He says, how many have Play-Doh? Have you, you played with Play-Doh before? Oh, yeah, Play-Doh. You make it into something. Make it in a bowl or make it into whatever you want to. But when your mind changes of what you're going to do with it, what you do with it first, you squish it back. You start from scratch. You start from scratch. It, 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 is, it is what it feels like when God gives you a promise of something greater, but then the next season of your life feels like retraction. It's, it's the process in the bow when the bow is right on the target. But in, for, in order for the bow to be released, it can't go forward until it goes backwards. But backward movement is what builds momentum. And the more you're retracted, the more velocity you have when you're released. And so when, when you're dealing with next or new in God, whenever, whenever the prophecy comes for something to shift or change, you've got to know that there's going to be a season of things going back to zero. Going back, you know, things just retracting out of your life. Things maybe be looking like not like the promise. And God, you said I'm about to go to my next season, but everything is going haywire and everything is going crazy. And what in the world is happening? I can't see you. I can't feel you. I heard you clearly when you said it. But now in the season, it feels like everything is going wrong. What's going on? He's retracting or he's putting the ball back in your hand of Plato to start over with what he wants to build or create next. Are you listening? You cannot take something that was and just build off of it to be. But if it was something, it has to go back to nothing to become something different. Are you listening? And, and, and so that's what he, that's what he does in, in, in our lives. I got some scripture here to back. It talks about being new creations and all things becoming new and all those things. Um, but then, like I said, once, once, that, once, he, once he starts that, that lump, this was marred in my hand. And, and, and I may have said this last week, but I want you to know marred doesn't mean no good. Marred just means not fit for your next. It's almost like God looks at you and says, they're a great candidate for what I want to do with them next. But there's some things in their life that will hinder them from soaring at that level. So I got to get those kinks out before I do it. Right? You, you good. He's chosen you. But I've looked ahead, and if they, don't, if they don't clean these things up, it's going to trip them up down the road. I, 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 I've learned to appreciate I used to, I used to, I used to look at TV, and I'm like, Lord, I hope you don't see me in my pride when I say this, but I've been delivered. I, 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 uh, I ask God for deliverance. I preach on myself a lot, so I'm okay with it. Um, I used to watch TV and just look at ministers preach and teach, and there'll be messages that I've preached two, three, four years ago, and they'll be like, I got a new revelation. 
and the church going crazy. And they got thousands of people. And I'm saying, God, I pre- I've been preaching that. Why you ain't open the doors? Why you ain't open doors for me? He says, I develop you in small places so that your fall is less. Because if I let you go to the heights that you think you're ready for, and you stumble over things that I knew you still had in you, you need to get out. The fall is harder from a 10th story floor than it is off of a pulpit this size. So I'm gonna let you make your mistakes when nobody knows your name. I wanna mold you where, where the damage is minimal. Then to let you get a mega church and then they, your weaknesses are exposed that I've been trying to get you to work on for the last three, four years and you lose everything. See, a lot of us, here's that, this word again, I've been saying it, we step out of God's pace for us because we think we're ready for things that we're not. And God says, I knew you were marred and then you were ready for the next and I called you for the next and I called you to be, but there were some things in your personal makeup that would, that would, that would do you more damage than good on your next. So let, me just, let me just make you over again so I can prepare you for where you want to go and for what I want to do in your life. Does that make sense? And, and, and I had to learn how to, to stay consistent and stay at peace where God has me because I needed to be here. If I was ready for something else, he would have launched me. Right? And so what happens is we never go through the potter's wheel process to get ready for that next because we're still steady trying to jump off of it saying I'm ready now. And God is trying to put us back on. No, you're not. And you're saying, God, I'm ready. No, you're not. Lord, I'm ready. No, you're not. Remember last week? And frustration feels like readiness. And so instead of getting back on it, we just jump off of it and say, who needs the potter? Or his house. <laughs> I'll do this myself. All right? So number two, the clay has to be formed. Listen to this. The vessel begins to take shape when it's placed on the wheel and molded by the potter. The longer you stay on the cross, pick up your cross and follow me, God, Jesus said. The longer you stay in the presence of the potter. Listen, listen to these couple things I've got just in the process of the potter. The clay must be placed in the center of the wheel. Now, when a potter's making something, he turns his wheel on, right? It starts to turn. And you've got to place that clay right in the center of the wheel or what will happen. If it ain't placed in the center of the wheel, it, if it's not centered, it will not hold its shape because it's imbalanced. You've got to stay in the center of the wheel. Who's the wheel? Jeremiah saw Christ. He saw it and he saw the glory of God. He said it was like a wheel in the middle of a wheel. God says, if you stay centered in me, if I'm your center, if everything you do is centered on him, if, if, you, if you say, even though you're in a process of spinning, you will not spin out of shape. You will not spin off. Why? Because you're centered. The reason why a lot of us experience imbalance is because we're not centered in Christ. <laughs> we fit him in instead of fitting us into him. We fit him in. If we got time, we'll come to church. If we got time, we'll come to ETA. Uh, if we got time, we'll come to Bible study. If we got time, we'll come to church. Because you know I got this going on, and you know the kids are doing this, and my, my in-laws are being next weekend, and I got all this going on. We'll fit him in. That means we're not centered around him. But when we're centered around him, it doesn't matter 
what the ride is that we're on will stay balanced because we are in him and he balances us. He keeps us in perspective. And the reason why we lose our perspective is because we lose our center. And we lose our center, we become to be off a little bit and imbalanced, and then we're tossed. One day you have a good day. Next day is a bad day. Somebody talks about you, you're angry. The next day you've been, you're always up and down, up and down, because you have no center. Does that make sense? So listen to this. He says, you got to be centered in the wheel. It says, listen, oh, I love this part. Water has to be applied to ensure that the clay remains soft and pliable. How many know what water is? Water to the believer is the word of God. Jesus said, I am the well. If anybody drinks of me, they'll never what? They'll never thirst again. The lady was at the well getting water. She was like, you need to drink of this water. <laughs> Who was Jesus? The word, right? And so what happens is, if you're a new creation, the only thing that shapes your new thinking is the word. While God is shaping you, he's pouring water on you so that the word makes sense of where you are and what you're going through. That's why you cannot wait till you come to church to read your Bible. You can't wait till the preacher gives the scripture for the sermon to know what. The, to, to, if that's your only reading for the week, no wonder you've hardened up. You had applied no water on you. If you clay and don't apply water, you're not shaped. You can't, you're not pliable. You're not shapeable. Nobody can say anything to you. Your stance is what it is. You've gotten hard. You're not moved. And if you move them too much, they'll crack and break. Have you experienced, maybe not this church, maybe just in my church, over on Hurrah Street. There's, there's some people I know, if I say any to, anything to them, it'll break them. They can't take any kind of criticism. I mean, if they do something, you got to say to them, thank you. God bless you for your efforts. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Let them go. And then you have to go behind them and fix it to keep them encouraged and grow them to a level where they can take a little more. Because if you tell them how it really is, it will break them. They'll never come back. Have no water on them. They just dry. Just clay. That's hardened. (laughs) Water makes us pliable. The word makes us pliable. Jesus said, blessed are they that are not offended by us, by me. It's, it's the word of God. When we see it in the word, even though we don't like it, we receive it because we've got some, some water applied to us. And that's what he does. When he makes you, you've got to stay saturated in, in, in water. You've got to be, stay, stay saturated in his word if you're going to stay pliable. Because if you lose your pliability, God can never use you again. If, if you use your ability to shift and change and be, uh, and I know that's a harsh statement, but I'm going to say it. He cannot go further with you because he can speak rhema to you, but you don't have the ability to shift because you're too hard. You're stuck. You want to move. A lot of people have desires to do better, but they never do. My heart wanted to do this, and you never do what your heart wanted to do because that word in you is strong enough to make you pliable. Listen, I love this next one. The wheel must be turned on and turned up to the proper speed to hold its shape. That's good. The potter must know the proper speed to form the vessel. So let me give you this, this, this picture. When he starts to shape, the potter, it's his, it's his motor that has a foot lever, and, he, and it controls the speed like a car. 
putting the gas on the car. And so the potter will make the, the wheel go faster so that he can shape it. But here's the, here's the key. He knows the amount of speed you need to shape you without being too fast to break you. Sometimes our life is spinning at a pace where it looks like it's out of control. But your life is not spinning out of control because you've got a potter that has his foot on the wheel, that knows the pace you need. Because there's some spinning that is necessary to clean you. But it ain't spinning you to the point where it's breaking you. He knows the right amount of pressure to apply so that you're better without being broken. <laughs> and, and, and you got to understand why is this going so crazy right now because he had to turn the, the speed up on that wheel so that he can shape you a little more you had to have those circumstances go the way they did so that you can shape, be shaped a little more if you didn't have that spinning in your life if things weren't spinning seemingly out of control you wouldn't be clean can I tell you something one of the easiest processes to see on that is your, 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 your wash machine who likes agitation? Who likes somebody to agitate them? Nobody likes that, right? Nobody likes that. Nobody will confess that I like the agitation in my life. But every washing machine has an agitator. And clothes don't get clean if the agitator goes out. It's the agitator's job to go against the grain, to wash. That's what creates the friction that cleans the clothes that gets the dirt out. <laughs> So God says, sometimes I got to spin you and let some stuff go contrary to where you're going just so I can work on you to clean you up. But we don't like the agitation. So, so he knows the proper speed to hold us in shape. So your life may be spinning like it's out of control, but the potter knows what, he, what you need. Listen to this. While the clay is spinning, the potter places one hand on the inside of the clay to mold its shape. And the other hand on the outside to keep the form of what's being created on the inside. Oh, you got to see this revelation. He holds you on the outside to keep your shape so that people don't know what he's doing on the inside. <laughs> he's making you from the inside out, but he's holding you on the outside so you can keep it together. <laughs> So there's a lot of work going on on the inside of you that's shifting you and changing you. And, and, if, and he knows while it's going around that wheel, the inside hand is going up and down. It's making it. It's, show, it's, it's molding it. But that outside hand is keeping it steady through the process. God is a molder of us and he's a keeper. And I don't care what kind of process you're in. Uh, you know, in your development and you're new, this is new. I'm in a new place in my life. I, I'm in some uncharted territory. I'm, I'm in some deeper waters than I've been in before. I don't know, God. I'm scared in this new season. I, I'm kind of out of my element. You know, you can never be in a place where you think that outside hand is not keeping you. There's some new stuff going on with you, but it's necessary. But that outside hand won't let you lose it while you're being developed on the inside. Is that good news? That's good news. And listen to this. You may not see it now, but God is working on me from the inside out. And while he is processing me, he keeps me at the same time. 
And that's why we don't lose it all the time, because there was a hand that was keeping me together on the outside while things were being worked out on the inside. I, I, I teach this all the time. The chaos that we need to be worried about is not the chaos on the outside of us. It's the chaos on the inside of us. If we quiet the chaos on the inside of us, then that outside noise wouldn't even matter. We want peace from things making us peaceful, from our environment making us peaceful, from people making us peaceful, from our things working out making us peaceful. But the peace that God gives does not happen based on your environment. It happens based on a peace on the inside that says, even though I'm in the, in the middle of a storm, I can even walk on it or I can take a, take a, a nap in it. Jesus was sleeping on it, and the disciples came to him and said, Lord, do you even care if we live or die? Why are you sleeping? And he stands up and goes out there and says, peace, be still. That means peace is just chaos <laughs> under control. He spoke to it and said, you need to go somewhere and sit down. Peace, why are you walking around somewhere? Get somewhere and sit down. And there's some chaos inside of us that we need to just tell it to steal itself. And once that's calm, everything around you changes. Why? Because your perspective changes. What used to make you nervous, now you have peace about. What, what, what used to make you concerned, now you have peace about. So you can go through the, to the same thing you went to yesterday and not even be worried about it because he gave you peace in it. Is that all right? That happens from the inside. Chaos. I want you to, from now on, I want you to learn how to live quiet inside. Don't worry about chaos around you. Just get quiet inside. You know, you might get, you know, a bad report. Things may be not looking like it's coming together. But I need you to go to God, amen, in prayer and let him calm you on the inside. That means that everything you face doesn't have the authority over you. That's why he comes to, that's why Paul comes to Timothy and said, hey, I need you to stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. That you may be able to stand. He has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. Come on, somebody. And all fear is is chaos and noise on the inside of us that's telling us it's not going to work. When we already have assurance from God that we're more than conquerors already. I'm about to get happy and I don't have a voice to do it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I want to say this today. I said it Sunday. The Lord gave me revelation on it and I about ran him out of my office when I heard it. He said, listen to this. Stop saying that you're a survivor. That you survived it. He says, you'll never find the word survivor in the New Testament. A survivor, he says, look at the word survivor. I looked it up. He said, to survive means that your safety was once in question. In the Old Testament, they survived because grace was not abounding. And if they missed it, they might not have lived. But because Jesus had already overcame the world and he started the church by saying that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, be of good cheer because the thing that you're scared of, I've already overcome it. He said, so you're no longer survivors because you are in God. Now you're more than conquerors. You're overcomers. Come on, somebody. In Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let me just, let me keep going here. Now listen, while he's shaping us, while he's molding us, here's the most important part. And I'm about to close in a minute to give you time to ask questions. Here's the place here that we all can relate to, that we all got to go through. When the potter gets done shaping this vessel, he puts it in the fire. 
It has to be in the fire. It has to be in the fire. Give me some, I'm going to give you some scripture on it. First Peter 1 and 7. It says that the genuineness of our faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to move on with these scriptures, but can I tell you this? God's biggest desire in his work in us is that we finally get a revelation of him. I'm talking about when you get Christ revealed at his full capacity, fear cannot live in your life. The reason why people, the reason why people get fearful in situations, because in those certain situations, Christ isn't bigger yet. But whenever he gets big enough to be everything you need, that's why he asks the disciples, he says, listen, I'm going to ask you two questions. Who does man say that I am? Then he says, who do you say that I am? Because it only matters if you don't see me. And only one of them, Paul, I mean, Peter steps up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my what? Father in heaven. Then he says, punish rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail. What is the rock? Christ revealed the revelation knowledge of who Christ was. If you have a revelation knowledge of who Christ is, the gates of hell shall not prevail. He says, Peter, Paul, listen to this. He says, Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you lose, I'll lose. Whatever you bind, I'll bind. Why? Because you got a knowledge of a revelation knowledge of who I am. That's the keys. That's the key. And if you look at the gospels, if you look at the epistles, if you look at Paul and his pleading with the people, it was that they would get a revelation of Christ. It all sums up to you saying, do you really know who's on your side? Do you really know who's rolling with you? Do you really know he is the son of God? He is God. He's got all power in his hand. He's the creator of all things. There's nothing on the earth, under the earth, above the earth that he is not over. There's no job, no finances, no situation, no storm, no problem, no sickness that he cannot solve. There's nothing you can, you can, you can, you can serve, that you can ask him that he doesn't have the ability and the authority to give because he created all things. If he gave you a body, can he give you another one? If he gave you a bone and that go bad, can he replace it? Come on. He is the Christ. He is the everything. He is the all. He said, all power is in my hands. Last time I checked, if you got all, there's no room for anything else. Come on. All is encompassing of everything and inclusive enough. It is everything. He says, if you get a revelation of me, you'll win in every area of your life. And he says, your genuineness of your faith has to be tested by fire. The genuineness of how much you believe in Christ has to be tested by fire and may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is your test that reveals, I trust him and believe him in a way that I didn't before. And I'm giving praise, honor, and glory to Christ because of it. Because I finally re- he's finally revealed who he really is in me. It is through those tests in the fire that he reveals who he is in us. Some of you forward lovers, truck drivers, 
You know the sign that says, I'm this bill, four tough. They put the stamp of approval on it. They can't get that stamp unless it's gone through some rigorous testing. Unless that truck proves the ability to hold up in any situation. It is finally tested and proven to be four tough. And some of us, God wants to put this stamp on you that says God tough. <laughs> that you've been tested, you've gone through <laughs> rigorous training, you've gone through storms and fires and tests, and you're still standing. And he can say, prove and say, yep, that's God tough. <laughs> you, 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 have my, you have my stamp of approval on that. Listen to this, Zechariah 13 and 9, I will bring the one third through the fire and will refine them as silver refined and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, this is my people. And each one, each one will say, the Lord is my God. Amen. It is through the testing of fire. But here's why testing is so complete, it's so, it's so vital. The vessel is not complete until it has been placed in the fire to extract the water from the clay, which causes the vessel to set permanently. God wants you to be firmly planted. He wants you to be firmly, solidly planted. And the only way to do that is get the water out of you. Here's the process. See the revelation. When we was being formed, the more water, the better. But when we're being firmed, the water has to be extracted. What did we say the water was? The word. So while we were being processed, he had to dump a lot of it in us to make sure that we were made right. But when we're being formed, the water has to come out because it has to be what the kingdom that's up there has to be established down here. And the only way it's established down here is through the word of God. It doesn't matter that he says it, says it up there. If you never say it out here, it'll never be established on this earth. That's why he tells, if you want the keys, you got to say some stuff down here so I can make it say it up there. Come on, somebody. And so it's the storms and trials of life that get us to speak the word out of our lives so that it can be established in our surroundings. And it's only through fire that we really stand on the word. And what we have to do and learn is we cannot... Start saying what we feel when we are under test. We've got to learn how to say the word. Jesus never, amen, the enemy comes to tempt him. He says, it is written that man should not live by bread alone. Why? Because if he starts to say what he feels, he might say something that was out of the will of God. And we've got to learn that there's water, there's word in us that he's trying to pull out of us so they can be established for us. And it is only drawn out most times by fire. Yeah. But here's the last point. I want, you to, I want you to hear this. It's in your notes so you can go back and read this. Our fire is not to kill us. It's to refine us. Sounds from, some, from a believer's fire is not screaming in pain. It's worship. It's worship. Three Hebrew boys, the Bible says they were in a fiery furnace that was turned up. Ten times harder. They came out not even smelling like folk, smoke. Not even smelling like where they've been. Because the Bible said there was a fourth man in there. It was a consuming fire. I want you to notice, and I want you to be encouraged about this, as you've been processed, and you, you God push you on the wheel, there's no fire that's hotter than the consuming fire that's with you. <laughs> he will allow fire to get on you to refine you but he will not let it be hot enough to burn you and kill you. 
He'll consume it before he gets to that place. But he would use it to use you and to mold you and to make you. He told him, he says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Why? Because I created the blacksmith who fans the flame. I created the one who's blowing on the fire that's making it hot. So if I created him, I'm controlling him to know that's too hot. He knows the temperature you need to make you without burning you because he is the consuming fire. What does that have to do with our series? The enemy of your next is not allowing God to put you on his will again. I explained the will to you so you know the benefits of it, but not giving into this process of saying, God, I want to see you in a new way this season. I don't, I don't want what I've, what, I've, what I've known in you. Well, I don't, know, I don't want what I have experienced in you to hinder, to hinder me to be used by you in this next. Let God put you on the wheel again. Let him remake, remold you. Let him remake you, make you in ways that you never thought you would need. Let me tell you something. That's why he says, blessed are they that come to him as a child, as, as a little child. That means... Children are always inquisitive. Children are always raw. Teach me. Show me. I got a two-year-old and three-year-old now who's, but why? Daddy, why does it do that? I told him, but why? Why does that happen? Why does that happen? When we come to God, open for him to mold us and make us, not coming to him in his presence as something that says, yeah, here I am. I am qualified. I've got experience. I'm the one you need to use in this next season because of my resume. Chances are he'll find the one that's hungry. It comes to him like a babe saying, Lord, I'm available. Just use me. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. Because I just want to be using your next. Come on, give God praise tonight. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.